the author of this wonderful book was Paul. Now, Paul, as I told you previously, is absolutely my hero when it comes to people in the Bible. And when we read his letters, we find that his letters are very rich, very rich in teaching, rich in encouragement, but also in rebuke. From time to time, he did not hold it back. When he had to rebuke the people, he would do that. And he gave his commands. And why did Paul do this? I almost say Peter. Why did Paul do this? You know, Paul had this feeling in his heart that he, ha he had to look after his children. The people that he led to the Lord Jesus Christ was as if they were his own children. So he did everything he could in order to see that those little children of him would grow up and would become strong and would become mature in the Lord. So this book, as all the others of Paul's letters, is very rich in content, but it is also rich in emotion. And it is actually very interesting to see how Paul was a man of emotion. You know, when you go and read in the Bible, when you look into the books, then you find that these emotions are often displayed. For instance, in the book of Galatians, he was totally shocked to realize that the people would so easily leave the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ that they've heard, and they would just follow some other news or other stories. He was shocked. In this specific letter to the Philippians, we find a wonderful emotion of Paul, and that is the emotion of joy and rejoicing. Actually, when you go and count, you will find these words, joy or rejoicing, at least 17 times used in this letter to the Philippians. What makes this significant is to realize and to remember that Paul was actually sitting in prison while he was writing this letter to the Philippians. He was in the city of Rome and for two years he was under house arrest. But you must remember before he reached Rome, he was already for two years in prison. So he was for two years in prison, then he went to Rome and he was still in this position where he was a prisoner. He could not leave, although people was able to come to him, but still he was a prisoner. And now in this time and this place where he sits in prison, the thing that Paul tells the people is, if there's one thing you must do, that is you must rejoice. Actually, I think that this can teach us something very, very important. That even in our own little house arrests that we are experiencing for what is it, two months, three months now? So many people are depressed. So many people are just sad and don't know what to do. But here comes a man that's got a couple of years of imprisonment already behind his back. And he says, Man, let me tell you something. Rejoice. Because Paul learned to be able to, to be joyful and to rejoice. It doesn't matter what is going on around you. The thing that stirs joy, the thing that stirs rejoicing 
is not the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that is one thing that you must really remember, that if we are going to wait for things from the outside before we start to rejoice or before we decide, listen, I'm going to be glad, then we are going to wait for a very long time because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when we can allow the Holy Spirit of God to stir that joy and that rejoicing on the inside, then we will know what Paul was able to do as he was sitting in this prison in Rome. So you are going to see in this book how often Paul reminds the people to rejoice. Now, the reason why Paul wrote this letter he never just wrote a letter because he had nothing else to do. He always had a reason. And now once again, this specific letter to the Philippians is actually such a, a wonderful letter in the sense that as you go and read through the other letters that Paul wrote, there was always something wrong, something that he had to do, talk to the people about, that something they had to rectify, something they did wrong, or there were problems, or stuff like that. But the letter to the Philippians is actually one of those letters that there's no wrong word for them, there's no problem that Paul wants to address, there's absolutely nothing wrong. And you will see that actually this assembly of people, this fellowship of believers was very, very close to the heart of Paul. He had a very soft spot for these people. And there was nothing wrong. We can say that Paul was looking at one of his children and he is so proud of them because of what they are doing, what they are experiencing, and the way they be behave as children of God. So why did he write this letter? There are more or less three reasons, and I'm going to tell you what those reasons are. First of all, he wanted to thank them for a gift that they sent him while he was in prison. And they did not only send him a gift of money and food and stuff like that, but they also sent him a person, Epaphroditus, that would come to Paul in order to help him, to serve him, to be his cook, to be his helper during this time that he was in prison in Rome. But unfortunately, Epaphroditus got very, very sick so sick that all the people thought that he was going to die. And then when he got better, Paul decided that he was going to send this man back to them with the letter of thanks that he is sending back to those people uh, in Philippi who sent him the stuff that he needed. So it was a thank you letter. The other reason why he wrote it was to give them some news about himself and his companions that was with him there in Rome. And then the third reason why Paul wrote this letter was to encourage his young children once again to grow in spiritual maturity.
Now you are going to see later as we are going to, to advance through this book that there are something like five characteristics of a mature Christian that we are going to find out about in this book of the Philippians. So, as I said, it is a very positive book, no complaints, no problems. And Paul wrote this letter around 60 to 62 AD. So, Paul was rather at the end of his life. He was approximately in his early 60s or maybe late 50s when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. Let me tell you something about this Paul. He was a very, very young man in his early 20s when something happened. His name used to be Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was a place where he lived with his parents and his father was a Pharisee. That is one of the religious groups of the Jewish uh, religion. And the Pharisees were people, they were very, very strict when it came to the law. They did believe in afterlife and eternal life. They did believe in angels and demons. But for some reason, these Pharisees hated Jesus. They would not listen to what he was saying. They just turned their back on him and they would have nothing to do with him. In Philippians 3, verse 4 to 7, in Paul's own words, he gives a little background of himself. And he tells us in this book that he was circumcised when he was eight days old. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, and that he was very proud of. Of course, he was an Israelite. And as he said, in his own words, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That means that he was one of the people you mentioned him. And when you mentioned him, you know, everybody would listen and they would know this was a very, very special man. As I said, he was a Pharisee. And concerning his zeal, in his own words, he was very zealous. But his zeal, the, uh, went in the wrong direction because he was persecuting the church. And he was actually thinking and believing that he was doing God a very big favor. So he was persecuting this church. And in this whole persecution, he still thought of himself as a very righteous man and blameless. But just look at verse 7, where Paul says that all these things that used to be so important to him, when he found the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The moment he could know the Lord Jesus Christ, in person and he could see what this really was all about all these other things that was so important to him he now considered loss some of the translations say he called it rubbish but rubbish is still a very nice word 
there's another word, a very stinky word. <laughs> and that is actually what Paul said. How he considered these things that used to be so important for him as that terrible word that we cannot even mention. That is how Paul thought of the wonderful things after he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was also a student of a very important teacher. And that teacher's name was Gamaliel. So if you read your Bible, you will find out about Gamaliel. He was also a Pharisee and the people had very high regards for Gamaliel. And something very important about Paul that would help him in future and specifically here in Philippi was the fact that he was also a Roman citizen. Now, to be a Roman citizen was something very, very important. And these people had privileges that other people did not have. So if you were a Roman citizen, they could not just do anything with you. They had to be very careful what they would do with you. And that actually helped Paul in a later stage. But next time about that. When did Paul come into the picture? If you go and find the book of Acts and go and read Acts, you will find out more about Paul. We hear the first time about him in Acts chapter 7, where we read the story of Stephen, who was also a very young man. And Stephen was martyred. He was killed when people threw him with stones, as you can see on this picture. They killed him by throwing stones at him until he died. And why did they do that? Because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that when these people were throwing the stones at Stephen, that those who threw the stones came and they put their clothes at the feet of a young man called Saul. So Paul, at that stage known as Saul, was witnessing how Stephen was killed. He was not uh, contributing with it. He didn't throw the stones, but he was watching this thing and he was actually give thumbs up. Good, do it. Because just after that, in Acts chapter 8, we read how that he started to persecute the church. He started in Jerusalem and then all the way through Judea and Samaria, these Christians had to flee. When I was reading this, it reminded me of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where Jesus told them and he said that you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, when Jesus said these words to them, they never realized how this was going to come about. But when Paul started to persecute the Christians and they started to, flew, to, to flee, they went to Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the world. And I want you to realize something. You know, 
God's ways are not always our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes we do not understand why things happen to us. And we think, oh no, something must be wrong. It must be the devil or something. But if we can realize that whatever God did, for instance, these people, they were persecuted. He did it for one reason, and that was so that the kingdom of God would be extended. These Christians were just sitting there in Jerusalem, holy, doing nothing, until the persecution started. And when they were pushed out, then the good news, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, could also go out and reach the others. Now in Acts chapter 9, we read about the story of Paul. As he went to the high priest in Jerusalem, the high priest gave him a letter, and that letter said that Paul had the authority to put all Christians into prison. And that he did with, with zeal, as we have already heard. So he would go into houses, he would pull out the children, the women, the men, and they would be put into prison. And Paul was very, very chuffed with himself because he thought he was doing a very great work. And as he was on his way to Damascus, something happened. And the very bright light of God just started to shine around him. And then, of course, that voice, and that voice that spoke to him and said to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And what a shock it must have been for Paul when he realized he thought he was doing God a favor. And then he found out he was actually persecuting God because Jesus Christ is God. He was persecuting God. Of course, you know the story, Paul was blind and they had to lead him by his hand into the city. And there another man, a Christian came, Ananias. But God really had to speak to him first because everybody was so afraid and scared for this man, Paul. Saul at that stage. So Ananias came and he healed Paul. He prayed for him and his eyes were opened. And immediately Paul asked to be baptized. And just after he was baptized, you know what the first thing is that he's done? He started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. He didn't wait. The next day, the moment he could see, the moment he was baptized in the water, full immersion. That moment, Paul started to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you something. What was the first thing that you did after you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Can you think back for a moment? What was the first thing you did? Did you also go out and tell others about what Jesus has done in your own life? Or did you just sit back and hope nobody would find out you are also a Christian now? 
What did you do? Because I have realized one thing in my life, and that is when you truly have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, there's just no ways that you cannot tell others about it. There's no ways that your life can just stay the same. Nobody's life can ever stay the same once they've met Jesus Christ. Do you agree with me? You can say, yes, I see your comments here on my phone. After this whole story in Damascus, we can say that Paul's journey had begun. Now, I know we are going to talk about uh, the, the letter to Philippi, to the Philippians, but if we have to see the whole story, we must go and look in different places. Now, once again, in Paul's own words, in Galatians 1, verse 15 to 24, we actually find out what happened after he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there Paul wrote that he didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. In other words, he didn't go to, to Peter and James and John and those people. He didn't go and ask them, listen, now I became a Christian. What must I do now? You know, he didn't do that. He didn't go to Jerusalem where they were, where the apostles were. But he went to Arabia. And then after he's been in Arabia for a while, he returned to Damascus. And then the Bible tells us that only after three years, he went to Jerusalem. And then for the first time, he met Peter and James and John in person. And then after that, he went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And as Paul was traveling, he had one thing in his mind and in his heart. And that is to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we read about a very important friend that Paul had. And that man's name was Barnabas. Barnabas was the man who helped Paul when he came to Jerusalem. And Barnabas took him and he helped him and he introduced him to the rest of the apostles. And they became a very nice team who would go out and do missionary work all over the country. Barnabas was the, the stronger one and Paul was the junior. And they were a missionary team that went many, many places. So they've been on this missionary trips and then they came back and they went to the church in Antioch. Now you can see there on the chart, Antioch, Jerusalem is down south, Antioch is there in the north. Now Antioch was the home base church for Paul. That is the place where, where he would go back every time. That was his home base. That church sent him to go wherever he had to go. But then something happened. A couple of false teachers came to Antioch and they started to spread a rumor. And they said that whenever these Gentile people that is people who were not Jews. If they wanted to become a Christian, 
they first had to become a Jew. And that meant they had to be circumcised and they had to keep the law and then they can become a Christian. Well, that was not true. And a very big fight started regarding that. So what happened is that the, the church people of Antioch decided to send Paul back to Jerusalem so that he could go and find out what is the truth. So he went to Jerusalem. There he met 14 years later now. There he met with Peter and John and James and all the others. And they have discussed this whole thing. What must happen? These Gentile people, must they truly become or must they be circumcised? Must they keep the law? What must they do? And then you can go and read about that in Acts chapter 15. That they decided, listen, we are not going to put all these things on the Gentiles. The only things they had to do was that to um, keep away from blood, from the uh, um, sacrifices and from sexual immorality. If that is fine, that is good. That is enough. So they gave Paul his letter and he could go back to the church of Antioch and you could tell these people, listen, you don't have to become circumcised. You don't have to become a Jew. You can just follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith and grace and following. Of course, the, these people were very, very glad when they found out about that. So you can go and read that letter in Acts 15, verse 36 to 40. I'm not going to read it now. Then you can see what they actually told them. Now, after that, Paul and Barnabas decided they were going to go on another missionary trip once again. But then something else happened. And all of a sudden, where Paul and Barnabas used to be very big buddies, they had a fight. Can you believe that? They fought. The reason was Barnabas wanted to take his nephew, Mark John, with him on this journey. And Paul said, no ways. The previous time this young man didn't complete the journey with us, there's no ways that he's going to do that again. And they had this very big fight. And in the end, Barnabas decided that he was going to take John Mark with him. And Paul decided that he was going to take Silas with him. And instead of being one missionary team, now there were two teams. So you see, even though it seems like it wasn't a good thing, they had this big fight. God even used that to the advantage of his kingdom. Now there were two teams that could go out and spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Now, as Paul was on his way up north, you can follow the red line there on the chart. He was going to the region of Lystra. Iconium Derby, and there he met a young man called Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young boy. He was still very young. 
He had a Jewish mother and a Greek father, and he was well spoken of by the people that lived in that region. In other words, the people had a very high esteem for this young man. But you know what? Then something interesting happens. Paul wanted to take Timothy with him on this missionary uh, journey. But then he said, listen to me, before you can come with me, we will have to do something, my boy. You will have to be circumcised. That doesn't make sense, does it? Just a while ago, he got a letter telling that people don't need to be circumcised. Now he comes and he takes Timothy and he says, before you can come with me, boy, you need to be circumcised. Why? You see, and it is things like that, that sometimes make people think that the Bible is contradictory. It contradicts itself. Well, if you understand what was actually happening here, you will realize that this is no contradiction. The reason why Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised was very, very easy, a very simple reason. Remember, Paul always went to the Jews first before he would reach out to the Gentiles. And as he was traveling through these uh, towns and cities, he would always go to the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was a place where at least 10 Jewish men would gather and they would read scripture and a couple of things happened there. But only circumcised Jews were allowed to go into those places. And remember, I said that Timothy's mother was a Jew. So Timothy was half Jew. But because his father was a Greek, he was never circumcised. And in order for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be brought to the Jews, Paul told Timothy, it will be necessary for him to be circumcised. And they made it very public. They told everybody, listen, Timothy is being circumcised. The reason? Now he could go with Paul into the synagogues where they could minister to these Jews about the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go and read in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23, you will see there Paul wrote and he said, this is now my own translation. He said, I have decided one thing in my life, that I will become for people whatever they needed in order for them to receive the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he, when he went to the Jews, he acted like a Jew. When he went to the Gentiles, he acted like a Gentile. Not doing the wrong things, don't take me or misunderstand me, but in order for them to be able to have a friendship with Paul and accept him and that he might bring the gospel of Jesus to them. It is very interesting that as Paul was on his way, he had a very specific plan in his mind. His plan was he was going to Asia Minor and he was going to Bithynia. That was his dream. He wanted to bring the message of Jesus to those places there in the north. 
But then as he was on his way, you can read about that in Acts 16, verse 6 to 10. The Bible tells us twice that the Holy Spirit would not allow Paul to go to Asia Minor, Minor or to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit did not allow them. There could be many reasons how the Holy Spirit could prohibit them. Maybe they had some problems or maybe the breach was taken away by the strong waters or whatever. But the Holy Spirit did not allow them. And it is so interesting if we realize that, you know, God has already made his plans for your life as well. Sometimes we've got our own little ideas. I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to do this. But if we can just learn to listen so very carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then we will be able to hear what he says. And then you will be able to be guided in the right direction, not to miss God's perfect plan and purpose for your life. So the Holy Spirit did not allow them. And then because of that, they went to Troas. Now Troas, as you can see there on the chart, it was a, a town. It was a, a very important town for Paul because that is the place where he had this vision of what God really wanted for his life. Now, just take a look again from Antioch here where the red line starts to Troas. That is a road of 1,220 kilometers, which they had to do by foot. They had to walk all those kilometers. Now, you know, uh, they could walk approximately 20 to 30 kilo kilometers per day. So it took them quite a while, a couple of months, to reach Troas from Antioch. Would you do that by foot if Jesus told you, listen, go and bring my good news to everybody, to walk by foot for 1,220 kilometers? During deserts, during wilderness places, sleep in the field, people persecuting you. But that is what they did. For months, they walked until they reached Troas. And then one night, Paul had this vision and he saw this Macedonian man waving at him and telling, come over to Macedonia, come and help us. And all of a sudden, Paul knew this is what God's will for his life was. And you know what is so awesome about our God as well? And that we must always remember that when God has a plan for your life, he's not going to sit down with you and give you point one, point two, point three, point four, up to point ten so that you will know exactly what he wants you to do. God usually only gives us the very next step. Did you hear me? God usually only gives us the very next step and just the moment before we need to do that. 
if we can remember that, that God is never too early, but is never too late. And it doesn't expand unnecessarily, because that is what the walk of faith is all about, is to just learn to listen in the various ways that God speaks to us, and then just do that one thing that he wants you to do. And as we give each little step in the right direction, eventually, when we look back, we will see, oh, my goodness, look at this wonderful, wonderful path that God has taken me on. So I just want to encourage you, don't wait until you see the whole picture. Just listen and give that one step that God commands you to give. And he will be with you all the way. We're almost done. So let's quickly go on. Now we're reaching Philippi. Philippi was a very, very large and prosperous city. It was in Greek but it was a Roman colony, Italian in other words. There was about 15 to 10 to 15,000 people in that city and their language was Latin, they spoke Latin. Of course, there were very many gods, pagan gods, pagan temples, but there was no Jewish synagogue. In other words, the Jews were not very on top of the world there. For Jews to have a synagogue, they needed at least 10 men who would come together and gather. So there were not 10 Jewish men that could come together there. There was no Jewish synagogue. And that was a little bit of a problem, but Paul got around that, and I'm going to tell you about that just now. Philippi got its name from Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Now, please go and read about that history because it's very, very interesting. The history of Alexander the Great. Now, Paul entered Philippi and he was looking for a synagogue, but there was no synagogue. So what is he going to do now? The first thing that I would do that Sabbath was they would go out to the river and usually at the rivers there would be people gathering for prayer and Paul wasn't wrong in this one go and read about that in Acts 16 verse 11 to 14 because this is how this church in Philippi was established so Paul went out to the river and there he found a couple of women who was who were praying and the lady that was very interested and she heard him and she gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ, her name was Lydia. Lydia was a very famous woman. She came from the East and she sold colored fabric. Now, only the very rich people could afford colored fabric. So she was a woman of money. And the Bible tells us that she and her whole household accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they were baptized. Now, the household was not only the children, but all the workers and the slaves and everybody involved with this business was regarded as a household. 
and the moment Lydia and her household was baptized, the first church in Europe was established. Isn't that awesome? By the river, and there was the church. It doesn't end there, and something else very interesting, and this you will also only learn about in Acts. The next interesting thing happens. Now we had a woman in the church, and now there was also going to become a man in the church. Let me tell you about that one. As Paul and his people were walking down the streets, suddenly a slave girl came, and she had a spirit of divination. And this demon on the inside of her started shouting, these people got the message of Jesus Christ, the God. And Paul was so annoyed that he turned around. Remember Paul, the emotional one? He was annoyed. He turned around and he commanded that demon to leave her. The demon had to leave and there was a girl and she could no longer bring money in for her owners and of course that wasn't a very good thing and those gentiles took paul and they put him in prison and of course as you have heard in the story or you're gonna read it now in acts they put him in prison and paul and silas was sitting in prison singing songs of praise while their backs were cut open because of all the, the punishment they had. They were praising God. They were praising him so with so much faith and love that the earthquake happened and the prison doors went open and all the prisoners was running around there, but nobody escaped. The jailer wanted to kill himself. Please go and read the story. It's so it is actually so wonderful to read the story. And then Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. We are all here. And the very first thing this jailer asks him is, sir, what must I do? Maybe you will remember these words. Just after the day of, of Pentecost, when Peter was talking to all the people about what happened on the day of Pentecost, they were asking the very same thing. Sirs, what must we do? And of course, uh, Paul told them, Paul told the jailer, Peter told those people, now Paul told the jailer, you must be baptized, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, long story short, the jailer was baptized with his household and the church in Philippine was established. Uh, of course, now, this became very handy that Paul was a Roman citizen because the next day, the people who put him in jail after they heard all these things just wanted to let him go out of town very quietly. But then Paul said, no ways. I am a Roman citizen and you were not supposed to do this to me. So they had to escort him out of this town. Everybody could see that Paul was put in prison and now these people had to escort him out of town. And so the church in Philippi was established. Isn't that awesome? I think it is such a wonderful story.
Now that was the background and I just gave it to you so that you can really find yourself in this story and then next time we are going to start looking into the letter itself. Let me quickly give you the outline and then we are going to end tonight. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 to 2 we find the greeting. Then in chapter 1 verse 3 to 11 we find Paul's prayer for the Philippians. In 1 verse 12 to 26, Paul gives him some feedback regarding his personal circumstances. Then in chapter 1 verse 27 to chapter 4 verse 9, we get five examples of maturity, how to grow up in maturity. And then in chapter 4 verse 10 to 23, we find the closing of this letter. So I'm very excited for what is awaiting for us. And I really want to encourage you to go and read at least um, chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, because next week we are going to look into that. I enjoyed it. And I trust that you will also be falling in love with God's Word.